Okay, <clears throat> we are back to podcast, and uh, I let me just say in opening that uh, I have I've always enjoyed podcast. I this is something new for me in the ministry, and um, you know I pastored all those years, and we didn't have any electronics. I had a flip phone, you know, in the mountains, and I got a BlackBerry, and and uh, I'm just never I've never been most uh, technological savvy person um, and I never dreamed I would you know have a, a podcast but I, I want to say that I, I thoroughly enjoyed it I, I really have it's um, I hope it's been a blessing to you and is we want to continue it and uh, of course we're, we're ramping up the Wednesday night services um, but I'll never I'll never discontinue podcasting at some point at least Sunday nights uh, even even with a building, uh, you know, we'll we'll, we'll continue podcast on Sunday nights for for a while anyway. Uh, but anyway, I said all that to say this: as I've enjoyed it so much, but this Ephesians, I'm one chapter in and two lessons in Ephesians, and it's been by far my favorite podcast that I've I've been doing. It, it's I, it's. Um, like I said in opening uh, in Ephesians 1 that and I, and I do want it to come off accurately um, you know I've spent majority at this point majority of my life studying the Bible um, and, and so I don't always feel necessarily uh, intimidated or, or what have you uh, in, in teaching and preaching it's just it's what I've, I've always done but Ephesians, Ephesians 1 is, uh, when I started, I knew going in, I knew going in, it was going to be um, not necessarily a challenge, but something I would not feel like I'd done justice to. And, and um, I don't always feel like that. It's, you, know, you never feel like you've done good enough. I never felt like that. If you feel like you've done good enough, Thing, but I do feel like I've done do do the scriptures justice a lot. But going in, I knew how I was going to feel about Ephesians. I I knew I would not feel like I did it justice, and I, I don't. The Ephesians one is such so rich that I feel like we're going to have have to get to heaven to really exhaust it. And, and you're not really even going to exhaust the pen because it's God's word and it's inexhaustible. So, having said that, we're going to transition into Ephesians 2 tonight. And Ephesians 2 is not far behind. It is another extremely rich chapter in the Bible. And... Um, it, it starts off, it's it's basically a continuation of Ephesians 1. Um, it's, it's very rich, very, very good chapter. In fact, I have preached a lot from Ephesians chapter number 2. And, um, and so we're going to Ephesians 2. And uh, this begins to give us some details on a lot of things. It starts with our salvation. Ephesians 2 and 1 starts in salvation. 
you and you have the quicken. So it starts with an and. It starts with a conjunction, a joining word. So immediately it is joining chapter one with chapter two. And you have the quickened. And of course the term quickened there means to be made alive. Quickened means to be made alive. Remember that. Okay? Now Concerning our salvation, we are were dead. Look at it. Who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Let, let me do a little practical preaching to you all. If you've got lost children, if you've got lost family members, lost loved ones, lost friends, quit trying to dictate them and legislate righteousness to them. Okay, and I know it's hard with your children because you, you're you used to telling them what they should do, what they shouldn't do, so forth. But if you're doing that from a spiritual perspective, and you're going on about what they're doing is a sin and how they're acting is a sin and all that, that. That's fine. That's fine. But I can tell you, you're not making progress. And the reason you're not making progress is because before someone gets saved, they are spiritually dead. It's like going to a dead man in a graveyard or a dead man in a morgue and telling him what he's doing is wrong. You're going to get zero response. It's nowhere. Okay? They have to be made alive. They are made alive through a new birth. That's why Jesus, again, used the word birth. So, you have he quickened. The term quickened means to be made alive. Who were dead, that's past tense, in trespasses and in sins. So, before you're saved, you were dead in trespasses and in sins. Alright, verse 2. Wherein... In time past, so that means before you were saved, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. So you walked a course, you walked by a pattern, a pattern, a course is a pattern. And before time passed, before you were saved, you walked in accordance or in a course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan, folks. That's the devil. Alright? The power of the air speaks of the region of evil spirits which Satan rules. Alright, let's talk about that a little bit. you got to be careful when talking about this because you don't want to... Um, you don't want to stir it up too much. But have you ever heard of the airwaves coming across the airwaves well guess who the prince of the power of the air is now he's not the king but he is a prince uh, we read of principalities and powers in chapter 1 that Jesus is far above so Jesus has power over and beyond them but that doesn't mean that Satan is powerless he is extremely powerful and if he can control what's in the air, that, that means that uh, spiritual battles are won and lost in the air. 
the angelic fights that we read about in Daniel, which I believe extremely, uh, to the extreme are true. They're, they happen in the air. Our prayers come with it from within. They reside within, but they make it to the throne room of God. And we have to understand that they're, they go through the air. And when they go through the air, there's a battle for them. We read about that in Daniel 10. A battle for them to be answered, for them to be heard to get to the throne room. That's why I do believe there's something to be said for wordless prayer. That that's probably in 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 First Samuel from last week. Why Hannah? Um, probably why Hannah prayed and moved her mouth, but she didn't utter the words. Okay, that's why. In Romans 8, we read about groanings of the Spirit of God which cannot be uttered. It's because there is a battle in the air and in the airwaves. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. It's no wonder that the signals from the internet, the signals from television and radio and, and all of these, they come from the air. And he, he, he's a prince of a power of that. He's seeking to control that. And, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't partake in those things. I, I use every one of them. I use the radio rarely anymore. It's usually podcasts now that I listen to. Um, but at TV and, and, and the Internet, we use all this stuff. And that's fine. Just understand there's a battle taking place for the predominance of it just as they're all your prayer lives. So, the Bible says, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So that identifies who Satan is and where his battle lies and where his work lies. And it says, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So, children that disobey, spiritually speaking, people that disobey the spiritual uh, work of God and, and desires of God are walking in accordance to the prince of the power of the air, walking in accordance to Satan and what Satan desires. So that's plain. That's the scriptures. That's, that's what it's teaching to us. All right, let's go. Next verse. Verse 3, among whom also we had our conversation. Now, the term conversation there means behavior. So, in time past, we had our conversation, our behavior, in the lust of our flesh. So, the lust of our flesh fulfilled the desires of our mind. So, the desire started in the mind and was fulfilled in the flesh. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So it was our nature. So that's why you you should learn how to handle lost people appropriately. Because it's their nature as dead lost people. How to, to, to walk in accordance to the course of this world. Not for God and not with God. Okay? 
And it says children of wrath. You know, I, I'm one, I, I guess it's some things, we all have things in our flesh that we deal with and we battle with. But um, one of mine would be, you know, letting uh, me getting too mad or too angry, temper, if you want to call it. And uh, that's just something you recognize and you pray that God help you with and you do take the necessary steps to repent and overcome it like anything else. But we shouldn't be full of wrath. Wrath is uncontrolled anger and it's, it's a constancy in life and a lifestyle. And that's why, you know, we live in a very angry time. People are extremely angry today. It's, it's, it's almost as if they, they're eaten up with anger. Those are children of wrath. All right. Verse number uh, four. This is good. This is it right here. I remember having a salvation message one time from this chapter called From Disgrace to Grace. Because watch this. So Paul lays out what we were before we were saved. We were uh, children of wrath. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were all these things. And then he comes to verse 4. But God. But God. We were this. But God. We were children of wrath. But God. We were children of disobedience. But God. We were walking according to the course of this world, prince of the power of the air. But God. So look at verse 4. That's how it starts. But God, who is rich. You know what it means to be rich? means to be overflowing, abundant, to have more than enough. That's what, what being rich is. But God, who is rich in mercy, so he has more than enough mercy. Mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy. Grace is, is God bestowing upon you what you don't deserve. That's what grace is. I look around and I everything in my life is grace. Everything. Me preaching is grace. My church is grace. My home is grace. My children's grace. My my family's grace. Everything about me. Everything I don't deserve one thing. It, it's 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 God bestowing upon you what you don't deserve. But mercy's different. Do you know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Like a criminal asks for the mercy of the court, meaning he asks for the mercy of the judge. You're asking for mercy. Give me mercy. Lord, have mercy. So look at verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy, he has more mercy than what he even can do with. He's got enough. He's got more than enough. He's got plenty. Rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us. He's got more mercy than what he can even do with. And he's got it from his love from where he loved us. 
Verse 5, it repeats, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. So not did he just make us alive. He made us alive with Christ. How long is Christ going to live? Forever. How can Christ overcome through the power of the Spirit and the Word of God? We're, we're saved just like Christ. We are joint. We're heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ. Meaning, we get what God has to offer us and we get everything Jesus has. What does he got? He's got eternal life. He's got spiritual blessings. Spiritual. That's it. That's the beauty of the Word of God. And it raised us up together and made us sit together in, or verse 5, uh, quicken together with Christ, verse 5, by grace are ye are saved. We're not saved by works. There's not one good work that you have ever accomplished or ever can accomplish that will save you. It's by grace ye are saved. Verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's eternal security, folks. We're already in heaven. We're not there physically, but spiritually speaking, we're already there. He's already raised us up together to sit with Him in heavenly places. That's what God has done for you and I. That's the salvation that He's offered us, that He's given us. So spiritually speaking, it's as good as if you're already there raised us up together to sit with him in heavenly places. We're already there. That's how sealed, that's how perfected, that's how real and rich and gracious our salvation is. It's as if we are already there. Now verse 7, that in the ages to come, just think about all the ages, think about all the ages earth has already had, all the time that has already elapsed from earth. Okay, we're in what, 2022? But then there were 4,000 years of human history prior to that. You know, we're at 6,022 years or so of human history. Probably way longer than that in world history. But it's going to take ages to come. Doesn't even say how long that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Let me stop right there and say something. One of my favorite Old Testament stories that is a picture of salvation is when Isaac obtains his bride, Rebecca. And if, if you recall that story, I, I remember I, I remember preaching, I, pre I preached at uh, Franklin Heights, as a matter of fact, it was called A Bride for Isaac or something to that effect. And it was about salvation, it was about being saved. And if you remember, there was an unnamed servant in that story. And when they were trying to tempt and lure Rebecca to come along with the unnamed servant to be the bride of Isaac, which is you and I and the Spirit of God drawing us and wooing us. The unnamed servant started pulling all of these things, all of these jewels, all of this gold, all of this silver, all of these diamonds and pearls, and ruby, all the, pulling all of these items out of a bag to show Rebecca what her husband would own what her husband possessed that would be hers. And that is the Old Testament example 
of Ephesians 4 and 2 and 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ Jesus. So it's going to take all the ages to come for God to show us just how good he's been to us. See, sometimes we get in the trap and we don't think God's been very good to us. But we don't know the times he saved us from danger. We don't know the times he saved us from catastrophe. He, we don't know the times he saved us from car pulling out in front of us, saved us from a sickness or what, whatever the case may be. But in the ages to come, he's going to show us how good he really was to us. Like he was pulling it out of the bag, just like the servant did concerning Isaac. Okay? Verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith. See how rich that is? Just that statement. You, you Think about how in tune Paul was. I'm going to tell you something real quick. It is a common belief, and, and I do believe this one. It's a common belief. I've told you before how Paul was legally blind. And Paul, although the Holy Ghost inspired Paul to pen the Word of God, Sometimes he wasn't even the penman. He was the dictator. In other words, he, he would tell Luke, all right, write this, Luke. This is what God's telling me. Write this, Luke. This is what God's telling me. So that's that's how we got a lot of the Bible. And that's why sometimes you'll see epistles that were labeled as from Paul um, kind of being a different writing style or a different way of communicating. And then a lot of and they were similar to Luke's. Ephesians was not one of those. Ephesians, I really feel like this. Now, we don't have perfect proof, but I believe this. I believe the Spirit of God showed me this, that Ephesians was one of the letters that Paul, because he did say in Galatians how large a letter I wrote to you with my own hand. So Paul did write some letters on his own. He just felt more at ease and comfortable with Luke, him dictating to Luke what to write. But I, I will believe. I go to heaven believing it. And if I'm not correct... God, God will straighten me out there. That Paul penned this letter the, of Ephesians by himself. That he did not use Luke to be the writer, the, the pen to paper writer. And it's because of the language and the depth that's being used. Look at this. Look, just look. I mean, I, I can't. I almost can't get over this. This this one statement. In verse 8, it's not even the whole verse. For by grace are you saved through faith. Okay, remember what I told you mercy was? You're not getting what you deserve. So mercy is, is, is you getting mercy from God. You deserve hell. You deserve judgment. You deserve... Uh, you deserve God coming down on you, but you didn't get it. That's mercy. But grace is different. Grace is you getting the good that you didn't deserve. So th therein lies the difference. And it says by grace. So grace is you getting the good that you didn't deserve. What is that? Salvation. You didn't deserve it. For by grace... Are ye saved through faith? And the only thing that give you that grace was faith. Now, it's not your great faith. It doesn't say through your faith. It says through faith. 
because we learn later that this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. Okay? So, for by grace are you saved through faith and not that of yourselves. It is, now watch, it is the gift of God. Just like I told you this morning that the Holy Spirit was a gift. Now I'm telling you that our salvation in and of itself is a gift. It is a gift of God. Now, God's not an Indian giver. Because if, if, if I give you something, I give you a gift. I give my son a gift. If I give my daughters a gift. And it's a gift from dad. But I go and take that gift back. It's no longer a gift anymore. It's mine. You don't take a gift back. Who takes a gift back? That's salvation. That's eternal security. God doesn't give you this gift of salvation and then take it back. It is the gift of God. Not of works. What's a work? Baptism, church attendance, tithing, catechisms. I mean, works go on and on and on the list of what works are or what works can be that people think make them right with God. Salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. So if salvation was through works and by works, we could, we could, we could brag about it a little bit. We could say, hey, you know, I'm saved because I remember my catechisms. I'm saved because I got confirmed into the church. I'm saved because I remembered verses. I'm saved because I didn't do all these bad things these other little bad boys and girls did. I'm saved because of a certain way I dress. I'm saved because of certain things I do versus not certain things other people do. I'm saved by uh, not uh, cussing, fighting, spitting, chew, or running around with those or do. You know, that, that kind of stuff. If I'm saved by that, I can brag about that. You're not saved by any of that. It's grace, it's mercy, and it's given as a gift so you can't boast about it. Man. Then he goes to verse 10 and says, For we are his workmanship. Think about Wayne here. Wayne is a craftsman. Wayne is a work. He does work. My, my roofing guys. Workmanship. They're craftsmen. They, they do a work. They do a good job at it. Okay? We are his workmanship. Can you get it through your head and spirit that us being saved is a work of him? And he is working on us. And we've got to allow him to let, let him. Allow, uh, we've got to allow him to do it. And as we do so, we become what he wants us to be. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. So just like Adam was created, yes, we were born. But when we got born again, now we got created again in Christ Jesus unto good works. So it wasn't the good works that saved you. It's the good works that you begin to do as he's working on you and in you to be like him, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So before, again, there's a, there's a foreordination, preordination of something, and it's not that you should be saved, but it's that you should walk in him after you get saved, the good works. Man, that's good. All right, let's go to verse twelve, and we're going to we're going to uh, 
we'll, 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 we'll probably go through all of it, but then I'll come back in part two of this and start back in verse probably 13. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. Now, Gentiles here is a general term, and it's used for all people who were not, were not born Jews. Jews looked down on Gentiles, and they didn't really have anything to do with them. And Paul goes on to explain that the gospel unites both people to make up what we know as being the church, and Jesus is the chief cornerstone. So in time past, we were Gentiles in the flesh we were called, who are called the uncircumcision, by the which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. So you were an alien, you were a foreigner, you were not... <laughs> Boy, that's a term not used anymore, but it's a Bible term. An alien is someone that is foreign, that is not native to that land. We were foreign to being reconciled with God. We were foreign to a relationship with God. But now we're citizens. This is so good. Without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, had no hope, and without God in the world. Look, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Nigh is near. Nigh is near. Nigh is close. You used to be far off. You used to be separated from God. You used to not be with God. You used to not walk with God. But you who were once afar off are now made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You used to be a part of the common, uh, apart from the commonwealth of Israel, but now you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. That, ladies and gentlemen, is Ephesians chapter 2, part 1. This is probably going to be two or three parts itself. Chapter 2, part 1. I hope you've enjoyed this great book of the Bible. Read it along with me. Study it along with me. I'll see you Wednesday night. 645. Good night. God bless. I love you all.